Second Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read there, but first let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness and mercy. Father, we thank you that Calvary does cover it all. All of our sin, all of our past, all of the shame, all of the sin. God, we thank you for Calvary tonight and for the Christ of Calvary. And Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus tonight, Lord, and we don't stand in our righteousness, but in the righteousness which is of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it. Bless the meeting tonight. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Save the lost, Father. Bind the, the enemy, God. Let Satan be bound in Jesus' name. And we'll give you the glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, And beside this, at giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. You notice in verse 5 that we have a command from God that says, add to your faith. He says, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about adding to your faith. Adding to your faith. When the Bible talks about adding to your faith, what God is speaking of is the fact that once we get saved, you see, it takes faith to get saved. And, and, and we receive Christ Jesus by faith. And that saving faith is what brings us salvation. Whenever a person is saved, I don't care where, you know, where they're saved. They, they could have been saved in uh, uh, Los Angeles or New York or Milwaukee or wherever. But whenever get, uh, a person gets saved, they always get saved the same way. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 16 and 31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Everybody who's saved gets saved the same way. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, there's only one thing that God requires of you, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. God says to you tonight, believe on his son. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And I thank God tonight that 20 years ago that I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and by faith I received that salvation. But as I've mentioned before, I mentioned last night, I mentioned yesterday, uh, listen to me, that, that saving faith that, that, that brought that salvation to us is not all that there is for the Christian. We don't just stop with saving faith. There's more that must be added to our lives. Not more in order for us to get to heaven, but more in order for us to be the kind of Christian that God wants us to be. And I think that the pity with, with many Christians is that, man, we get saved and we just stop right there. And, 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 and if we had to get up and testify and give a testimony, uh, 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 you know, before people, our only testimony could be, boy, I thank God I'm saved. Now, that's wonderful. 
Praise the Lord if you can say that and, and, uh, and, and, and listen to me. That's wonderful. But listen, that's not all that you ought to be able to say about your relationship with God. There's more to it than that. Amen. There's more to it than that. And yet we live in a day and age when Christians don't want more. We want less. See? We want less, you see, less preaching, less demands upon our lives from God. We want less, you see. And that whole philosophy just really permeates our whole society. Less. Less of everything, you see. But God doesn't offer us less, friend. He offers us more. And we ought to want more, you see. We ought to want to grow in the Lord. We ought to want to grow in grace. We ought to want to be more for God and more for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a shame if we don't. God commands us to add some things to our faith. And tonight we want to look at this whole idea of adding to our faith and what God says we ought to add to our faith. Look at the Bible. God says, first of all, that we're to add to our faith virtue. Virtue. There's a lot of saved people that don't have virtue. See? You can be saved and not living for God, and the reason that you are not or that, or, 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 or that you won't be is because you, you haven't added virtue to that faith, you see? God says add virtue to your faith. What is virtue? The word virtue means manliness. It means valor or excellence. Now, as Peter was speaking to the Christians by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was not only speaking to men, he wasn't just talking to men, Christian men, and, and saying to them, listen, you be man enough to do what's right. He's also speaking to women also. And he was saying to the Christians of that time and Christians of today, listen, it's time for us to stand up and be men in the Lord. It's time for us to stand up and be women in the Lord. In other words, be willing to take a stand for God. See? Virtue, you see? The Bible lets us know that, that this character trait of virtue is a rare thing. Look at Proverbs chapter 12 as God speaks of virtue. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 4. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 4. Speaking of a virtuous woman, God says a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. But she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. Huh? What a wonderful thing it is for a man to have a virtuous woman. Huh? A woman who's true, a woman who's honest, a woman who's upright. Huh? I want to tell you something. God's looking for that same kind of woman. God's looking for a Christian woman, a Christian man to have that attribute of virtue in our lives. Now listen to me. It doesn't come natural. You're not going to naturally be what you ought to be for God. See, don't think that just because you got saved that all these things are just going to naturally occur. They won't, friend. No more than your children are going to do right naturally. They won't do right naturally. That's what the humanists say. Just leave them alone. They'll be all right. No, if you leave men alone, you leave children alone, they'll turn out to be monsters. Amen. Because of that sin nature. See? Now, now most of us in here would agree to that intellectually, but yet practically we don't practice it. Huh? 
Because the average family doesn't raise their children as if they have a sin nature. Amen. We operate on the premise that they're, they're basically good. Huh? They're not basically good and neither are you and I. Amen. Jesus said, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children. We have that sin nature to contend with. And the only way that we're going to overcome it is we're going to have to do it on purpose. We're going to have to add some things to our lives. And the first thing that God says to add for the Christian is virtue. Even our thought life is to be filled with virtue. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. In verse number 8. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Notice what the Bible says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are honest, or whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure. Hold on, let me start over. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, he says, think on these things. Even our thought life tonight ought to be filled with virtuous thoughts. And yet the truth of the matter is in many cases our thoughts are anything but virtuous. Amen. Our thoughts have been so affected by TV and, and all the filth that this world pours into our minds if we allow it to. That our thoughts even reflect the things that we see and hear. And God says our thoughts ought to be virtuous. What we need today are men and women, Christian men and women, who have added to their Christian faith virtue. Not only that, God says that we're not to only add virtue to our lives, but he says that we're to add to our faith virtue, but also knowledge. Look again at, at 2 Peter chapter 5, and verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, he says, knowledge, knowledge. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Knowledge tonight. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, the sad truth about many Christians is that we know more about many other things than we, knew, than we know about God. We know all the commercials. We know all the slogans. Huh? We know all the movie stars and all the sports stars and all this kind of stuff and very little in many cases about God. See? I want to tell you something, Christian. You may start out ignorant of the scriptures and ignorant of God and the things of God, but shame on you if you stay that way. I think, you know, we even have, it seems like we have the attitude that there's something, uh, uh, good about being ignorant and there isn't friend God has given us a wealth of knowledge in his word amen and we'll never grow and we'll never be what we ought to be until we learn the things of God we've got to study the Bible we've got to read the book amen read the book I got a 
word processor. I, I bought a word processor, and I, that's a big step for me. I'm not a computer person. My mind don't function that way. It's hard for me to, you know, I just, it just doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm just not a computer person. I'd rather just write it down. You know, I, to me, a calculator is a big thing, you know. But I bought a word processor, and, and I brought it with me to Milwaukee, some letters and, and some things I wanted to put together on this word processor. Boy, I tell you, I've been fooling with that thing all day today, trying to line up a letter with two columns. I've been fooling with it all day today, and I never did get it right. You say, why not? Because I didn't bring the books. <laughs> I didn't bring the books. And, and now listen to me, I could have saved myself a lot of frustration I could have saved myself a lot of, of a trial and error. I could have saved myself a lot of paper. Huh? A lot of time. Huh? If I had the book and studied the book and just looked up right there. That's how you do a two-column page. Five minutes. Huh? But I'm ignorant concerning that word processor, and that's why it took me all day to fool with it and never did get it, because I don't have the book. Now listen to me, many of us are that same way in our Christian lives, and we're fumbling around and feeling around in the dark uh, for direction and for truth, and we're going everywhere but to the book. Here it is, friend. Here is how we know how to raise our children. Here is how we know how to have the right family and the right home. Here is how we know how to live. It's in the book. Amen. You're not going to find it on search for tomorrow. You'll find it searching the book. Amen. You're not going to find it on as the world turns. You'll find it by turning the pages in the book. It's in the book, amen. And we cannot afford to be Bible ignorant. That's right. Amen. Yeah. We can't afford it, friend. This business of, well, you know, I would be a witness, but I don't know anything about the Bible. Well, bless God, learn something about the Bible. Amen. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and, and one of his jobs is to teach you and to lead you. And he'll do it, Amen. You don't need some new perversion of the scriptures in order to understand the Bible, friend. In fact, you'll never understand it that way. What you need is the old Bible and the Holy Spirit as you study it, amen. You'll learn the book. And you get yourself out here for Bible study. And you learn from the preacher that God has put here to teach you the word of God. And you get up in the morning, you read the book. You live by the book, friend. You'll learn it, amen. You learn it. We must add to our faith virtue. Man, that, that trait that, that gives us the courage to stand up and do what's right. We must add to our faith knowledge, friend. Learn the book. It's right here. Amen. Them uh, Jehovah's false witnesses knock at your door. You don't have to stand there and tremble in your boots. Huh? How do you defend yourself against false doctrine? With the truth. Amen. You don't have to know everything about the false witnesses, but you better know the book. Amen. You know, they, 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 they tell me, now I've never experienced it, but they tell me that when they train people to identify 
counterfeit money, that, that you'd think that what they do would be to show them a whole bunch of counterfeit money. But from what I heard, that's not what they do. What they do is they give them the real thing. And they count the real thing and, and, and handle the real thing over and over and over and over. And they handle the real thing so much to when the phony stuff comes, it, it's, it's just obvious. It just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't look right. They know it's not right. And I'll tell you something. You get in this book and read it. You study this Bible. You memorize these scriptures. You pray over these scriptures. Friend, you won't have any trouble identifying phony and false doctrine. Amen. Amen. Some of us are suckered in because we don't know the truth. And there's no excuse for us not knowing the truth. Amen. Amen. Add to our faith virtue and to our virtue knowledge. Amen. Huh? Proverbs 15 verse 14 says, The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge. Are you seeking the knowledge tonight of God? But the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. How do we get this knowledge? We seek it by prayer. We're taught it by the Holy Spirit and we find it through diligent study of God's word. Amen. We must study it, you see. Study it. God says, add to our faith virtue. Do you have it tonight? Man, alive. some of us, man, every little temptation, boy, just, and the devil just trips us up. Every little thing. We can't stand up against anything because we haven't added virtue to our lives, you see. Knowledge, huh? And then God says we're to add to that knowledge temperance. Temperance. What is temperance? Temperance is just another word for self-control. It means to be strong in a thing. It means to be masterful of a thing, huh? Listen, as a Christian, we're not to let anything uh, govern or rule our lives, huh? And yet many times Christians allow a little stick of tobacco to rule their lives, huh? Because they haven't added temperance to their lives, huh? Sometimes we allow the appetite to rule our lives. Why? We haven't added temperance, friend, to our lives. Huh? The list can go on and on and on. What's, what's the problem in any cases? No temperance. No self-control. And yet God said we must add this to our lives if we're to be the Christian that God wants us to be. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. God talks about self-control in this chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24. Notice what the Bible says. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all. But one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. In other words, he said, don't just, excuse me, live your Christian life like you're going nowhere. You're just kind of drifting along. You have no purpose. And isn't that the way many Christians live their lives? They just live from day to day. There's nothing that they're going after. There's no goal in their lives. There's nothing that they're striving for. Huh? And we sung the song tonight. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant 
my feet on higher ground. And friends, that ought to be our goal. Higher ground to be more for God. Amen. To be more for him. And God says, just like a runner's running to win the prize, that's how we live our Christian lives, friend. We're going somewhere. We have a goal to reach. We have something to accomplish in our lives. In verse 25, he says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. In other words, here's a wrestler in the Olympics. I guarantee you, if he's striving for the gold medal, he's not going to be out eating chocolate cake and uh, uh, malts at uh, Dairy Queen and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because he wants to be the champion. He wants to stand on that platform more and have him play the Star Spangled Banner and uh, receive that gold medal. So, boy, he watches what he eats, and, boy, he goes to bed at a certain hour. He gets up at a certain hour. He eats certain things and doesn't eat certain things. He takes vitamins, and he runs and, and all this kind of stuff. Why? Because he's, he, he wants to be the champion, and he exercises self-control in his life, you see, because he has a goal and a purpose to win. Now listen to me, God is using these illustrations for us as Christians. He said, listen, if you want to be the very finest Christian that you can be, if you want to win the prize, friend, if you want to be all that God would have you to be, then there's some things that we must be temperate about, you see. We've got to use some self-control. He says in verse 26, I therefore so run, in other words, I, this is how I live my Christian life. Not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beat at the air. In other words, he said, I'm not just shadow boxing. I have a real opponent. Who's the opponent, Paul? Myself. My own flesh. My own desires. My own wants. Me. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you something tonight. We can talk about all kind of other enemies and opposition, but I'll tell you, the biggest enemy we have tonight, friend, is ourself, our own flesh, our own desires. He says in verse 27, he says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest, lest that by any means... When I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He said that I keep under my body. Now you can look that up in any Greek book, any study book you want to. I'll tell you what it means. It means literally, he says, I give myself a black eye. I literally pound my own self. Huh? Now he wasn't saying that he goes around punching himself. But what he's saying, friend, is that He's willing to make any sacrifice. He's willing to give up anything in his life that would hinder him from being the Christian that he ought to be. Now, what was the purpose? He says that because I don't want to preach to others and then I myself become a castaway. Huh? I don't want to preach to others and then when the temptation comes to my life, then I fall into sin and get my life all fouled up. Because I couldn't control my desires and my passions and my wants. And now here I am. I'm team, but I'm no good to the team. 
I fouled out. Huh? And there's a lot of Christians who foul out and foul up because they never learn to control their own appetites and desires. Huh? Boy, I think about old refrigerator, the fridge. I know you, you Packer fans was glad when he left. <laughs> Listen to me. Fridge was a great football player. When he first came to the Bears, man, he was a great football, probably the fastest guy for being as big as he was that anybody's ever seen. Fast. Great football player. But listen to me, he could have been greater than that. He could have been a, he could have probably been the greatest defensive lineman to ever play the game. I, I believe that. They had one problem. One, one problem. You say, what was it? No discipline. The man couldn't stop eating. He literally couldn't stop eating. And he ate and ate. He got big. They threatened to kick him off the team. He still eat, eat, eat. Really? And got so big that he became useless. Knees got all messed up. And, and, and now think for a moment. I know it's kind of a funny illustration, but think for a moment. Here's a man that could have been probably the greatest or one of the greatest ball players in his field that ever played the game. But instead, they end up getting rid of him. Huh? Just trading him to Philadelphia, I think he went to. Never much after that. Why? Because here's a man that could not control his appetite. Now listen to me. How many Christians could really be something for God, but they can't control their appetites? I'm not just talking about eating. I'm talking about their desires. Their desires, friend. We better learn some temperance. We better learn some self-control. Parents, you better teach your children temperance. Teach them self-control. Teach them to, you know, help to learn how to say no to some things. How to, you know, just stop, you know. Add to your faith virtue. Add to that virtue knowledge. And add to that knowledge temperance. Temperance, friend. Temperance. We must learn to control our physical appetites. We must learn to control our passions. How many families in good churches like this have been all torn up? Because a husband or a wife couldn't control their passions. Huh? How many children have broken the hearts of their parents and their pastor and everybody that loved them? Because they couldn't control their own passions and desires and what they wanted to do. It's not a little thing, friend. It's a big thing. It's, this, is, this is big stuff we're talking about. Virtue, knowledge, temperance. And then he says, add to our temperance, patience. Patience. Patience is really an interesting word. It doesn't just mean to just, you know, well, I got patience, I'll wait. No, it has to do with our whole attitude, our whole disposition that's involved in our suffering or when we have problems in life. Hey, I got news for you. If you're saved, that doesn't mean you're never going to have problems. Now, y'all didn't know that, did you? Huh? Isn't it interesting that when we first get saved, 
Man, we think it is, man, everything's going to be taken care of now. Huh? Man, I'm $20,000 in debt. I got saved. God's going to pay it all tomorrow. Well, he didn't pay it, did he? Huh? Oh, man, I'm saved. All my problems are gone. No, they're not. No, they're not gone. And many problems just begin once you get saved. Amen? But listen to me. For the Christian, the question is not whether or not we have problems. We do have problems. The question is, how do we deal with those problems? And God says that the mature Christian is the Christian who learns patience, you see, who learns how to cheerfully endure his trials and hardships and problems and to have the joy of the Lord even in the midst of them. Amen. 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 I look at several examples I could give you in the Bible. I could give you an example of Job and I won't go much into it, but think about Job. Job, the Bible says, was a perfect man and one that was, he was upright and eschewed evil. He feared God, eschewed evil. And yet the Bible says that in one day, he lost all of his children. He had 10 children, seven boys and three girls. It's like my mother. We call her Mrs. Job sometimes. <laughs> but can you imagine that? Seven boys and three girls, all of them killed in one day, same day. And not only that, the Bible says he was the richest man in the East. And in the same day, bandits came and stole everything that he had. And so he went from being the richest man to the poorest man. He went from being a father of 10 children to a father of 10 corpses. And then not only that, but the devil struck his body with sickness. And he had boils and sores all over his body. And to cap it all off, his wife comes to him. Good wife. He said, why don't you curse God and die? Huh? And Job's response was, naked came out of the womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. And the Lord had taken away. Get this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Huh? Man, oh man, how do we respond when those troubles come? Man, oh God, let me die. Huh? And things ain't going right. You don't know who is me and all that kind of stuff. Huh? Hey, God says as a Christian, we need to grow beyond that. Amen. Amen. Grow to the place in our Christian lives, friend, where we can cheerfully endure our trials and hardships and problems. In Acts chapter 16... Look at Acts chapter 16, verse number 25. Paul and Silas cast into prison for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, they had a tremendous response, and it, and it was a result of patience. Look at it in verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Huh? And the prisoners heard them. And as a result, many people are saved. Huh? Problems will come in our lives, friend, and it's so necessary that we add patience to our faith. Patience. And then God says, not only must we add patience to our faith, but he says, add to our faith virtue and the virtue uh, knowledge and the knowledge temperance. And then he says, we're to add to that 
Also to that patience, he says, we're to add godliness. 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 In verse 6 of that chapter, godliness means holiness, devoutness, piety. It means to live for God, amen? We need to add that to our lives. The Bible teaches us that we need to pray for the opportunity to live godly lives. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We need to pray that God would give us the opportunity to live a godly life. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, I exhort therefore first of all that supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all their authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. God says we're to pray for the government, pray for our leaders, but the purpose is that we as Christians might be enabled to live a godly life. A life of holiness for God. Be a testimony to this lost world. When we need to practice godliness in our lives. Whether it be in our dress, you see. What we wear on the outside says everything about what we are on the inside. Amen. Amen. Huh? First Samuel 16, 7 says that, that uh, the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. And it's true that God does look on the heart. And so as God sees me now, friend, he doesn't even, he sees through everything on the outside and he sees my heart. But he doesn't see or, or, listen, I can't see your heart and you can't see my heart. See, all I can see is what's on the outside. Amen. Amen. And so what is on the outside has a tremendous importance because it's a reflection of what's on the out, of, of, of what's on the inside now we can try to deny it and we can say that it doesn't matter but you know and I know that it does matter see and if I was standing up here preaching with a black leather jacket and a Harley Davidson emblem on the back and a bandana around my head you'd be sitting there the whole time thinking man I wonder does he mean it Something just isn't right there, you know? Huh? No, what, what's on the outside does matter. Amen. Because it speaks of what's on the inside, friend. Amen. Only God knows what's in the heart. And man, you see, can only go by what he sees. Look at um, Matthew. Very quickly, Matthew chapter 5. Verse number 13. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 13. The Bible says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for what? Say nothing. 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 But to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. God says that as Christians, we're the salt of the earth. Now listen, our saltiness is our testimony. It's our distinctiveness, friend. It's the thing that people look at us and see that there's something different about that person. 
and it enables us to have an impact upon their lives. It's our testimony. And friend, when we lose that testimony, when we lose that distinctiveness, then we become just like salt that has lost its savor. We become good for what? Say it. Nothing. Good for nothing, you see. And so this whole philosophy of, well, you know, we better be like the lost people so we can win them. Friend, that doesn't wash. See, that's not scriptural at all. That's like salt saying, I better lose my saltiness so I won't offend the food. Huh? I better not be different from this food because this food might not like me. No, the whole thing that makes the salt worth anything is its distinctive flavor from the food. Amen. And the thing that makes us worth anything, friend, to this world and to God is our distinctiveness. And when we lose that, we've lost our effectiveness. He says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a, hid, uh, on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine, he says, before who? Amen. Amen. Not before God. Right. God knows what I am. Right. Amen. He knows, he knows I'm not much. <laughs> he knows what I am. I don't have to impress God. But I got seven brothers and three sisters who watch me. I got a mother who watches me. I've got friends and neighbors who watch me. And I have an obligation to them, friend, to let my light shine. In other words, to keep a testimony. So that they may glorify God. Not me, but God, you see, when they see my good works. Huh? Add to our faith godliness, you see. Christian ladies, listen to me, Christian ladies. Pants, shorts, sweatpants. I got your attention now, don't I? Stretch pants, swimsuits, halter tops, low neck lines, low back lines, mini skirts. Huh? And all the rest of that trash. You say, what's wrong with it, Brother McCoy? Well, besides the fact that it's abomination to God, I guess nothing. <laughs> I guess besides the fact that you end up with no testimony, nothing. You say, what's wrong with it, Brother McCoy? It's immodest. It's immodest, friend. You know it's immodest. And every man knows it's immodest. Amen. You say, what's wrong with it for a Christian? You're God's child. And you ought to look like it. Amen. Not some Hollywood harlot. See, what you wear on the outside, friend, says what you are on the inside. Say, I'm not a harlot. When bless God, don't look like one then. You won't ever be mistaken for one. Godliness, friend. We need to return to godliness. Holiness, amen. Living for God. Not by the world's standards, but by God's standards. 
Romans chapter 12, and verse number 2. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. And be not conformed to this world. Is that in your Bible? Amen. It is unless you got a perverted text. If you got a perverted text, you know what you need to do with it, don't you? Tell them, church. Trash, Trash it and get you a real Bible. Amen. You guys are learning. And be not conformed to this world. Listen to me. Be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God is saying that my life and your life as a Christian ought to be proof positive of what a Christian ought to be. Amen. You're not going to do that walking around looking like these Hollywood harlots. Y'all don't like that, do you? Amen. Godliness. Godliness, friend. Godliness. The Bible says godliness is profitable. First Timothy chapter 4. Look at it. First Timothy chapter 4. Verse number 7. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7. 1 Timothy 4 and verse number 7. It says, But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto say it. Godliness. Godliness. Amen. Exercise thyself unto it. Practice it, amen. And he says in verse 8, but for bodily exercise, profit it little. You know, you want to get out and jog, you know, that, that's good. You want to walk, that's good. You know, there's some profit in there. But it doesn't make you spiritual. That's right. Is what he's saying. See, you could be the fittest, trimmest, leanest, meanest. You know, you might be able to slam dunk. I can dunk. Do you know I can dunk? Donuts, man, and coffee. Oh, yeah. You might better do all that stuff. But it doesn't make you spiritual. And I think we've almost come to the place in, in Christian circles that we think a, a trim body is a sign of spirituality. It's not. You can be trim and be carnal. It profits a little. Oh, God said there's some profit to it. He's not saying don't exercise. That's fine. Keep it in perspective. But look what he says. But godliness is profitable unto all things. Godliness, friend, will help you in every area of your life. Living a godly life. Living a pure life before God and man. It's profitable unto all things. Having promise of the life that now is. Not only will a godly life help you in this life. But he says, and of that which is to come. And, and it will also be a blessing to you in the life to come. Amen. Praise the Lord for it. Boy, let's live a godly life, you see. Let's not listen to these false teachers that try to convince us that 
that, that uh, this whole idea of having standards and all this is legalism. Huh? I got one word for that, hogwash. These ignorant people that are supposed to be so smart don't even know what legalism is. Legalism is when you try to say that a person must keep the law in order to be saved. That's legalism, friend. And I don't care if it's Chuck Swindoll. I call him Chuck the Swindler because he is a swindler. He's a liar, and, he, and, and he's not preaching the truth of the Bible. Now, some of you in here like him, and I know why you like him because he tells you smooth things. He don't preach on your sin. He tells you how to get a grip and strengthen your serve and get a handle on things and do that a do and die that a die and send me $10. Keep the radio broadcast going. Oh, you like Chuck the Swindler. He's smooth, you see. He's not vulgar like that old Baptist preacher, Brother McCoy. And my Bible says, cry loud and spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their sin, amen. And he's not going to be a very popular fellow showing people their sin. See, so he tell you all those pseudo-psychological remedies that doesn't even exist in the Bible. Huh? And you like it. Yeah, it's like the Bible said in the last days that men shall be, that, 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 that they will gather to themselves teachers after their own lust having itching ears. Oh, and it's so today. And I preach against that kind of garbage. It's garbage, you see. He doesn't even have the King James Bible. And he calls us grace killers. He says, you're a grace killer because you preach the Bible. No, the grace of God teaches us to live a godly life. Amen? Amen. Look at Titus chapter 2. See, the grace of God doesn't teach us to live an ungodly life or a loose life. Friend, the grace of God teaches us to be godly. Godly. Okay. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 7. Let's look at it. In all things, he says in verse 7, get this, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. You see that, a pattern? How many of you ladies sew? Let me see your hand if you sew. You ladies sew. Let me see your hand. You know what a pattern is, don't you? Huh? How many of you ladies ever made a dress, a pair of culottes or something? You, you, uh, all right. You, now, unless you are very, very, very good, you use a pattern. All right? Boy, you take that pattern. I've seen my wife, man, with her cutting board. And, man, alive, she's, you know, cutting that pattern out and, and upsizing it and downsizing it and all kind of things and cutting that pattern. You know, I've seen her take that pattern and pin it on the cloth. And then I've seen her take the scissors and cut all around that pattern. Man, alive, I'm glad I'm not a woman. I couldn't do that, man. <laughs> Meticulous work cutting all around that pattern. Huh? Boy, she'd get done, man. It's a beautiful dress or a beautiful pair of culottes. But she had a pattern, amen, something she followed. And God says in the same way, Christians, we are to show ourselves a pattern of good works. Lost people ought to look at us and say, hey, that's the way to live. Hey, that's 
the way to dress. Hey, that's the way to carry on your life. Hey, that's the way to raise your children. Hey, that's the way to be. Our lives ought to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, he says, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. You know, these filthy jokes and that kind of junk. Sound speech which cannot be condemned that heathens of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. He's, and in verse 9, he says, exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining that means not stealing on the job. Amen. Amen. You don't take junk home from the job without asking the, uh, the, the boss first. Some of you got junk men, staplers and scissors and pliers and tools. They just happen to go home with you in your back pocket. And it just happened to never find its way back. You wonder why they don't come to church when you invite them. And you wonder why they don't respond to your witness. They've been watching you steal. But showing all good fidelity. That means faithfulness. You be faithful to your boss. You'll never win them if you're not faithful. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now get this. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We shall live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what the grace of God teaches us. It doesn't teach us to go sit around with this cocktail sipping, cigarettes uh, puffing crowd and call ourselves God's children. It teaches us to live godly, bless God. Godly lives. See, godliness added to your life. Add to your life brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness, friend. Brotherly kindness comes from a Greek word that means Philadelphia. And listen to me. That's interesting because I'm going to Philadelphia to preach this summer. We'll be there three weeks preaching in inner city churches. How many of you have ever been to Philadelphia? <laughs> the word means brotherly kindness, brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia is the exact opposite. <laughs> if you think Milwaukee is bad, you go to Philadelphia, you'll be glad to get back to Milwaukee. Milwaukee will be like a summer home for you, a retreat, a mansion somewhere. Philadelphia, friend, is just, it's, Philadelphia is off. Philadelphia is in many words worse than New York City. It's terrible in, in Philadelphia. It's 10 times worse than Chicago. Philadelphia is terrible. Man, they kill each other like crazy. Is there somebody here from Philadelphia? It's the truth. Burn out cars. And listen, they don't put them on the side of the road, friend. They just sit in the middle of the street. Burn out cars, stolen cars, people being robbed, constantly murdered, constantly. It's a city of brotherly love. Hey, I've often thought about that as far as us Christians. We're supposed to have brotherly kindness. And many times we have anything but brotherly kindness. We'll gossip, we'll talk about each other, we'll treat each other badly, we'll cut each other's throat, we'll backbite, we'll do every unkind thing to one another. And yet we're supposed to be the ones who have brotherly kindness. Huh? Hey, if we can't treat each other right, then uh, I don't think 
the world's going to be very impressed. Huh? Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have a love one toward another. Uh, brotherly kindness. You know, I think sometimes that people think that being an independent fundamental Baptist means you got to be mean and nasty and hate everybody and everything. And the truth of the matter is the opposite is true. The more you stand for this book, the more you're going to love people. See? And a preacher that preaches hard doesn't preach hard because he doesn't love you. He preaches hard because he does love you. I want you to do what's right. Just like a parent. You think a parent who loves their child never disciplines them? No. The Bible says, He that spareth the rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. God says the more you love him, the more you're going to discipline him. The more you love him, the more you're going to take him in hand. The more you love him, the more you're going to deal with him. Because you love him and you want him to turn out right. And don't ever think that hard preaching, Bible preaching, is a result of a lack of brotherly love. It's the opposite, friend. It's the opposite. We live in a world of compromising, backsliding, backscratching, ear-tickling preachers that would tell you anything just to keep you shelling out the money or just to keep you coming, just that they don't want to lose your friendship. You better thank God you got a man of God that loves you enough to tell you the truth, to preach the book, stand on the book. You better thank God every day for him. I do. I thank God for my preacher. I really do. I thank God for him every day. I've got a preacher that loves me enough to tell me what's right, preach this book. Brotherly kindness, friend. And then he says, finally, love. In addition to virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness, brotherly love, he says, we must add to our faith charity. Charity. Just another word for love. Charity. You see, the top floor of our spiritual houses must be charity or love. The basement is faith. See? But listen to me. Faith is always concealed. Or oh, the basement is always concealed. You, you know, you don't drive by a house and say, boy, that's a beautiful basement. It's underground. You can't even see it. And so it is with our faith in the sense that it's the basis of our Christian lives, friend. It's not the thing that's out there on display. But yet our love must be, you see, our love that we have, not only toward one another, but toward all men. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to tell you something tonight. I've seen Christians that had all the right standards. I've seen Christians that looked just right, boy, and they talked just right and all of that. But they had one glaring fault. It was obvious that they didn't have any love. Very hateful and mean-spirited. That's not the Christian life, friend. That's not the Christian life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 